0: And the other men who went, thank you for your prayers. We asked for security, energy, and clarity, and the Lord gave all of those things. So thank you very much for remembering us at this time. Let's pray. Father, we praise you for your being a God who not only can hear our prayers, but desires to answer our prayers. And thank you for the prayers of this church in our absence, how you watched over us in every way, and how you gave us fruit there, and we do pray for our brothers and sisters around the world who serve you under much harsher conditions, but they do not view it that way because they know that they are children of the King. And Lord, we come to you as part of the broad body of Christ, which stretches around the globe, in gratitude for placing us in your church. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Christmas is a time of good eats. And my wife is an excellent cook, and one of the things which she always prepares at this time of the year is a pound cake. And the ingredients are rather simple, but each ingredient is essential if that cake's going to turn out the way she desires it to turn out. There has to be a certain amount of flour, butter, eggs, sugar, and vanilla extract. And when she mixes that together in the proper way, out comes this delicious pound cake to leave one ingredient out or more than one ingredient out, would be to ruin it. Today, what I would like to talk to you is about the ingredients or the recipe for disciple making. Please turn to Colossians chapter 1, and we're going to read verses 28 and 29, which will serve as the text for the message. I'm reading from the New American Standard Version today. Colossians chapter 1, verses 28 and 29. Paul writes, And we proclaim Him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom that we may present every man complete in Christ. And for this purpose also I labor, striving according to His power which mightily works within me. The first ingredient of effective disciple-making, and please let me pause and make note of something which I hope you understand. There is a difference between discipleship And disciple-making. It's possible to be a disciple of Christ without making disciples. What we're going to consider together today is what constitutes disciple-making. The first element or ingredient of disciple-making is the message. There is a uniform message. And Paul gives us insight into this message. He says in verse 28, And we proclaim Him. Jesus Christ is our message. Not a system of doctrine, not a set of rules, but an incomparable person in whom all the hopes of man are met and in whom is found eternal life. Now, there are several inferior messages which we as Westerners are apt to declare or proclaim. Some of us declare our church as our message. We extol the virtues of Carnal Baptist Church. That is an inferior message. Others of us declare ourselves. The apostle Paul was aware of that. He knew the danger and the temptation to declare himself, to proclaim himself. He says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 5, We do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord and ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. There is that temptation for us as we go about the matter of making disciples to declare ourselves, to start talking about what we have done. But the matter is clear. We are declare, to declare, proclaim Jesus Christ. To declare ourselves is an inferior message. There's another message that some of us declare, and you maybe think that Ricky and I border on this when we talk so much about Herb Hodges. But many times we declare and proclaim our mentor, the one who has discipled us. That would have appalled the apostle to think that someone would have declared him. In fact, when he writes to the church at Corinth, he says, Some of you say you are of Paul. Others say you are of Apostle Apollos. Others say you are of Cephas. Some of you even say you're of Christ. And he says, What is Paul? I'm only one who planted the seed. What is Apollos? He's one who came behind me and watered the seed. God is the one who gave the increase. Therefore, God is everything. So our message is Jesus. In the next three Sundays, we're going to look at various aspects of this message, namely, Jesus Christ. The first ingredient for our successful disciple-making is that we have Jesus as our message. Here's the second ingredient. It's our method. And Paul gives us that method in verse 28 also. He says, And we proclaim Him. The word which is translated, proclaim is a word which was used outside the New Testament, contemporary to the New Testament, to describe a king giving a messenger an authoritative message to declare on his behalf throughout his kingdom. Now, apply that to us who know Jesus. Who is our king? He is the king, is he not? He is no ordinary king. He is the king of kings. He says in Matthew 28, All authority has been given to me, and he... Um, remarkably has delegated that authority to us who call ourselves disciples of Jesus Christ. We proclaim Him. We have a message to proclaim. And the steps of our proclamation are spelled out for us in verse 28. First of all, admonishing every man. The word translated admonishing, listen carefully, means to set another's mind in order by correcting him or her. Probably Paul had in mind what we would call evangelizing people. Coming to people and confronting them with the claims of Jesus Christ and the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel by its very name is good news. However, there is an element of bad news in the good news, isn't there? Because we have to come face to face with our own sin and we have to confront people in their sin, their need for the Lord. And that calls people to change their minds. And interestingly, the word repent literally means to change the mind, which will result in a change of behavior. So as we're about this matter of making disciples, we need to be aware that there are people that God brings into our lives that He wants us to share Jesus Christ with, to admonish those people. Now let me stop and clear something up. You really can't make disciples unless you're willing to introduce people to Jesus Christ. There are lots of people in the church who know the Lord who've never been properly discipled. But there are so many others who need to know Christ, who Christ will bring into your sphere of influence and awareness so that you can introduce those people to the Lord. And when we have the privilege of doing that, we confront them and God does a mighty work through us in their lives. Admonishing every man, Paul says, that's the first step. Now look at the next step. And teaching every man with all wisdom. The word teaching is a word which suggests taking a baby believer in Christ, a new believer in Christ, and teaching that person the whole counsel of God, that is, everything that you and I know about the Lord from His Word, in an orderly fashion, so that that person can become mature in Jesus Christ. This word teaching carries with it the idea of conveying intellectual knowledge to people. And we know what the Bible says in the book of Hosea, chapter 4, verse 6. God says, My people are destroyed for the lack of knowledge. The quickest way for the church of Jesus Christ to be destroyed is for there to be a cessation of the teaching of the truth of God's Word. The devil will come behind that and will wreak destruction, the flesh in our lives will rear up its ugly head and cause us to be people who are not following the Lord if we're not properly instructed. But this word for teaching carries with it not only the idea of conveying theoretical knowledge, but also it carries with it the idea of conveying practical knowledge. Jerry alluded to the fact that Bill Randag, whom God is using to disciple Jeff Michelle, when he... Shared Christ with this young lady in the gift shop. Judy was her name. He didn't lead her to Christ. He could have very easily. He knows how to do that. He's led many people to Christ. But he stopped. He says, I'll be back. He found Jeff, who, who is being trained in how to share Christ, how to admonish people to come to Christ. He brought him with him so that he could practically train him. It was like on-the-job training in Kenya for Jeff Michelle in how to be a disciple-maker for Jesus Christ. So this whole concept of our teaching every man certainly includes sort of a classroom setting, but if that's all it includes, we fail miserably in understanding what it means to be a disciple-maker. It involves demonstrating with people what that involves. This word was used outside the New Testament to describe choral training. We have some musicians here. Aren't you glad we've got musicians in our church? And when people were being trained in choral music, this word was used and it was closely akin to the concept of actual performance itself. So we teach with a view toward those people whom we disciple that they would be people who become practical appliers of the things which we're teaching them. So we proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man. Now look what Paul says next with all wisdom. There are lots of things that I could say about that. I know that you're aware of the fact that knowledge is not wisdom. Now, you have to have knowledge of who God is. You have to know what the truth is from God's Word in order to be a person who is wise in the way in which you do whatever you do, especially in this process of disciple-making. But if knowledge is all you have, you're in trouble as are those whom you're trying to disciple. Because we know from 1 Corinthians chapter 8 that knowledge puffs up. Knowledge makes us proud. If we do nothing with the knowledge which God has given to us, it's a recipe for disaster in our lives because the Bible says God opposes the proud. And as we're puffed up with the knowledge which we acquire, then God will be sure to smash that pride in our lives. It's not very pleasant to have your pride smashed, by the way. Take it from one who knows. In my own life, I've had this struggle But what I do know is that God wants us to take the knowledge and apply it. So when we're teaching people and admonishing people, what we are sure to want to do is to teach them how to apply it in their lives. Now, here's another aspect of this with all wisdom. When you think about the Apostle Paul, did he have more than one personal disciple? Think about that just a moment. Think of some names when you think of Paul in association with him as his disciples. Now, who comes to your mind immediately? Timothy, of course. But there were others. There was Epaphroditus. There was Titus, Silas, and the list goes on and on. But Timothy was his primary disciple, evidently. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11one I'm sure he said this to Timothy many times, imitate me as I imitate Christ. He says to the Philippians, whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. Paul was not shy about conveying to those whom God gave him to disciple to follow his teaching as well as his example. But when you know what the Scripture teaches about the Apostle Paul, and at the same time when you know what the Bible teaches about Timothy, were they alike temperamentally? Were their personalities alike? No, they weren't. I was sharing this message last night in in the Saturday night service. It's more relaxed than this service. And people give me feedback, which is really good. Sometimes it's not too encouraging, but most of the time it is. And I was asking, when you think of the Apostle Paul, what do you think about it? And the guy on the front row said, a benny rooster. He was a fighter. Really, his temperament was never to back down. But when we read about Timothy, was Timothy that kind of person? He was not. Timothy was different. Timothy was shy and retiring, but this is what Paul says about Timothy in Philippians 2.20. I have no one else like him who takes a genuine interest in your welfare. Now, why was Timothy like that? It's because he was imitating those qualities in Paul which were Christ-like. Did Paul take a genuine interest in other people? Absolutely, But the way in which Paul did it and the way in which Timothy did it were somewhat different because of the differences in their personalities. And why I'm sharing this is, when you and I are admonishing every man and teaching every man, and if you're sincere about this matter, what God will do, He'll give you more than one person in your life, throughout the course of your life, to make a disciple for Christ of. And when that happens, what you're going to discover is you have all different kinds of people, temperamentally, that God brings into your life. And we're not about the business of making clones of ourselves when we make disciples. For whom are we making disciples? Jesus Christ. How do we want those people to turn out to look like us? We want them to turn out to look like Christ, as God does not violate the basic temperament which He gave to them. So, As we admonish every man and teach every man with all wisdom, we have to not only know the Scripture, we have to know the people whom we disciple. Now think about it, parents. If you have more than one child, they're different, aren't they? I've had people tell me that they have children they can just look at when the children have misbehaved and maybe not even have to utter a word, just give a stern look, and the child just begins to weep. Either the child is highly sensitive or very savvy. I'm not sure which is the case, but that works, doesn't it? And then there are other children that are so stubborn and hard-headed, you can beat the daylights out of them, and they don't even shed a tear. They just say, give me more, give me more. Every child is different in the human family in terms of what motivates the child in terms of discipline. The same can be said for those whom God gives us to disciple. Everyone's a little different. Some are motivated one way, others are motivated another way. So when we admonish every man and teach every man, we're to do it with all wisdom. Studying the people whom the Lord has brought into our lives for that purpose. So, we have two ingredients so far. Our message is, who is our message? Jesus, right? That's all we need to know. We need to know Jesus. We need to know things about Jesus so we can communicate Him. As we admonish every man, teach every man, our method is... Seen in those two aspects with all wisdom. Now let's move on to the mission. In the latter part of verse 28, Paul says that we may present every man complete in Christ. Have you noticed if we, as we've looked at verse 28 that there is a phrase, a two-word phrase, which is repeated three times in the short span of this one verse? What is that phrase? Every man, every man, every man. What Paul was trying to counteract was a heresy, a false teaching in the church of Colossae, which was known as Gnosticism. Without going into much detail at all about Gnosticism, what the Gnostics did, they said that actually there was a church within the church, a group of spiritual guerrillas, as it were a group of spiritual elites, people who had more knowledge than others had, and there were always going to be people who would be on the outside of that inner circle of truth looking in. What Paul is saying is, not so. Now please, sometimes some of you may think that there is favoritism played by Ricky or me or Dan regarding the people whom we're discipling. We've been given the responsibility to pastor the whole church. But God gives us some people who are hungry and eager and want to be taken further. And our hope and our prayer and our dream in this church is that everybody in this church would want to learn how to be a disciple maker. This is not an elitist movement. This is the will of God, please listen, for everyone who claims to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Every person, every man, every woman is to be a person who is geared to make disciples of Jesus Christ. How will we know when those whom we're discipling are complete in Christ? The word translated complete really means mature in Christ. Well, Jesus gives us some tests which we can apply. The first test He gives us in the book of John is found in John 8, verse 31. He says, If you continue in my word, then you are truly my disciples. What's He saying? What he's simply saying is, if you're obedient to me, you're my disciple. So when I'm trying to make a disciple for Christ of another human being, what I'm seeking to do is I'm trying to get that person to the point where she or he is obeying the Lord. Here's a second test that we might apply. It's an evidence of a disciple of Jesus. In John 13, 34 and 35... Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. So here's another test. It's the test of whether those people whom you are discipling or I'm discipling are displaying love to other people. No ordinary love, it's the love like Christ demonstrated. In John 13, verse 1, John writes that Jesus loved his disciples. Now get this. Listen. To the end. To what was the gospel writer referring? To the end of his life. What happened when Jesus was arrested? Did the disciples stick with Jesus how, as they had said they would? They all abandoned him. The Bible says Peter followed him, but at a distance. It's always dangerous. By the way, to want to have a distant discipleship, it won't work. You have to follow Jesus up close and personal to be a true disciple of His. But Jesus loved them to the end. Jesus loves us that way. Can you imagine when Jesus' eyes met Peter's eyes after the cock had crowed that morning? And Peter had already denied Jesus three times in the courtyard of Caiaphas as Peter was warming his hands at that charcoal fire, symbolic of the world. And Jesus' eyes met him. Do you think Jesus had a glaring look at at Peter when he saw him? What melted the heart of Peter? When Jesus looked at him, he looked at him through the eyes of love. And it broke Peter's heart. Jesus loved Peter to the end. He loves you and me that very same way. I read a story recently about a drunk who slept on the park benches in Paris. There was an artist who would go there on Sundays, and he would try to get people to let him paint their portrait for a fee. (coughs) No one was interested that day, and he kept passing by this bench where this drunk was passed out. So finally, as the drunk began to come out of his stupor, The artist noticed it and said to him, Sir, may I paint your picture? He said, I have no money. He said, that's okay. I would like to paint your portrait. He said, fine. The man did the portrait. When he was finished, he called the man to him. He said, look. And when this drunk looked at the picture, he was infuriated because he thought the man had painted a caricature of him, had been making fun of him because the person in the portrait was neatly shaven, clean, well-dressed, And he said to the man, how dare you make fun of me like that? And then the painter said, wait just a minute, look more closely at the face of the individual. And when he looked, lo and behold, he saw his own visage in that picture. It was he who had been painted. And then this is what he said to the artist. He said, if that's the way you see me, that's the way I will be. And so the legend goes, the man changed. Now that's the way Jesus looks at us. And that's the way Jesus wants to look at people through us. The Bible says in John 1.42, when Jesus first saw Peter, He said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Peter, which translated means rock. And if you know anything about the personality of Peter, he was anything but rock-like. We're to love those people whom God has given to us. Henry Harry Winston, rather, was the leading diamond merchant in the world in the 1930s. People came to him from all over the world to buy the diamonds which he had imported from Africa. A Dutchman came to Mr. Winston and he said, I want to buy the nicest diamond you have in your inventory for my wife. And so he said, come in. He called his best and most knowledgeable salesperson to come out and explain all the virtues of the diamond that he was hoping to sell. When the man finished explaining, Winston stayed in the room, by the way, when he had finished explaining this to the man, the diamond, the man said, you know, I don't think I want it. He stood up to walk out, and then all of a sudden, Mr. Winston said, sir, would you wait one more minute? as he did, he scooped the diamond up, and he held it up to the light, and he began to declare the virtues from another perspective. And then before that Dutchman knew what he had done, he pulled out his checkbook, written the check for the full amount, and given it to Winston. He was getting ready to leave. He said to Mr. Winston, he said, Sir, how was it that when your salesman sought to sell this diamond to me, I was not interested? But when you did, I bought it. And this is what he said. He said, Sir, my salesman knows diamonds. I love them. Do you know it's possible to know the people you're discipling without really loving them? A friend loves at all times, the Bible says. There is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. That's Jesus. And Christ in us wants to love people through us. And as we love people in this way, it will be contagious to them. And they will learn as we model. Remember what this matter of teaching every man amounts to? It amounts not only to conveying information... That's important, but it also carries with it the idea of modeling what we're teaching, exampling what we're teaching. So we love people in this way. Here's a third mark that will tell us if a person is maturing. Jesus says in John 15, verse 8, By this is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Fruit-bearing. The fruit bearing that Jesus is referring to certainly includes the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. But it's much more than just that. Because later in that passage, in John 15, 16, Jesus says, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, fruit which remains. So the Lord is calling us as we go. In the normal course of our lives. To ask the Lord, bring people into my life, Lord. People whom you have prearranged for me to meet. People who are unsuspecting, but people who come into my sphere of awareness and influence. Whom I can touch with the love of God. You know what God will do if you pray that kind of prayer? Get ready. He'll do it. We saw it on the trip. Jerry mentioned it in his testimony. We were on our plane ride from Dallas to El Paso. And Bobby Jones, one of the young men who went with us, he's the youngest in our group, he led a lady to Christ on the plane from Dallas to El Paso. He introduced her to Jesus Christ. Liliana was her name. And she was so grateful. At the end, she stayed outside as we exited the plane. And she talked about how the Lord knew that I needed to meet Bobby Jones today. Really, the Lord knew she needed to meet Jesus Christ through Bobby Jones that day. So wherever you go, if you're aware, if you're conscious, if you're interested, if you're hoping that God will give you someone, the Lord will give you someone. Don't you see that the Lord is much more interested in reaching people for Christ than you and I ever will be in this life? Jesus, His Son, died for them. He paid the ultimate price, the Father and the Son did, in order that we might be useful to the Lord. So, understand that the mission we have is that we may present every man complete in Christ. Before I go to the final ingredient, I want to pay attention to one more word. It's the word present. It's a word which means, outside the New Testament, to put something or someone at another's disposal for that person's use. As I thought about that in relationship to my being a disciple-maker or your being a disciple-maker, the picture became very clear. I am to present to Jesus those people whom He brings to me to disciple as a gift to Him, as it were. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 19, the Bible talks about when Jesus comes back, Paul says, What will be our joy? What will be our glory? What will be our crown? You will be our joy and our glory and our crown. We're at the Christmas season and you probably have a significant other in your life. And as you're thinking about what to get him or what to get her or what to get them, maybe it's all the members of your family. If you're like me, you put a lot of thought into it. I've been thinking about what to get my wife, what to get my children, my mother, my father. Even this morning it rolled through my mind as I got up this morning. haven't purchased anything yet, but I'm thinking about that. Let's suppose I came to the family gathering this year, empty-handed. How would I feel if I was unable to give a gift to my wife, or to my son, or my daughter, or my mother, or my father? How would I feel? And everybody else had a gift. How would you feel if you were in that situation? I know how I'd feel, and I think I know how you would too. You'd feel embarrassed, wouldn't you? You'd be ashamed. I asked the Lord this morning, Lord, please, when I get to this part of the message... Please, Lord, spare the people from being manipulated by what I'm saying, made to feel guilty. But, Lord, please motivate them to see that we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And if we come empty-handed, it will be a very sad day for us. Lord, we know that You want us to reach people for You, so that we can present to You every man, every person You've given to us to disciple. Mature in Christ. Well, let's look at the last ingredient. And really, this is the more most important of all the ingredients. We can get the first three right, but if we don't get this one right, those won't matter. Verse 29 says, And for this purpose also I labor. The word translated labor is a word which was derived from a noun which means a beating. And it came to mean the way a person felt after being beaten, exhausted after having been beaten, and it came to mean to work to the point of exhaustion. So this matter of making disciples is hard work. Make no mistake about it. That's why so few people enter into it. It's tough work. It's like parenting. Parenting is hard, isn't it? If you do the job right, it's a tough job. It's a very rewarding job. But it's a hard job. The same is true as we're making disciples striving. The word translated striving is a word which sounds like this. Agonizomai is the word, actually. It's the word from which we get our word agony or agonize. It's an agonizing kind of work. This was was a word of the athletic arena. According to, here, here we come to the means of disciple making, His power, which mightily works within me. Paul said, I will not presume to speak about anything except what Christ has done through me. It's His power that empowers us and enables us to accomplish this matter of disciple-making. Paul, when he came to Corinth, he said, When I came to you, brothers, I did not come to you with eloquence or with superior knowledge, as I, here's that word, proclaim, that's used in Colossians one twenty eight, as I com- proclaimed the testimony about God. But I came to you with fear and much trembling, for I resolved to know nothing except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not depend upon man's wisdom, but upon God's power. This whole matter of our making disciples depends upon not us, depends upon Christ in us. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, that means remains in him, depends upon him, trusts in him. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Look, you can't do anything as a Christian, much less make disciples, unless you're trusting Christ for his power. and, And I'm not talking about fireworks here. I'm talking about His life flowing through your life, which will enable you to be a tool in His hand to change people forever so that we may present them complete in Christ when we stand before the Lord someday. What a wonderful experience that's going to be for us as we trust the Lord. The Bible says, Be still and know that I am God. The word translated, be still, literally means, now watch this, it's a beautiful word picture. In Hebrew, the word means drop your hands and know that I'm God. When we're about this matter of making disciples, we have to drop our hands. Take our hands off the people. They don't belong to us, they belong to Jesus. Take our hands off of our lives. They don't belong to us. We are not our own. We've been bought with a price, the Bible says. Take our hands off of ourselves, off of those whom He has given us to disciple and ask Him to be God, to work through us. Have you had that experience in your life? Where you dropped control of your life and said, Lord, I'm trusting you to use me. If you haven't, you haven't made a disciple. Not the right kind anyway. But if we drop our hands and trust the Lord, have Jesus as our message, have the proclaiming of Christ, admonishing and teaching every man as our method. Have our mission, our goal, to present every person that the Lord gives us. But you're in Christ, and we trust Christ to give us the power. He will use us to make disciples. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Son and for Your Holy Spirit. Thank You for teaching us from Your Word. Help us, Lord. To be willing to be used by you. Now, as we're finishing today, let me just ask you Were you in some way touched in your mind, in your heart, to want to be a person who makes disciples for Christ? May I give you a simple, step by step way to get in on that process? Very simple. Number one, make yourself available to the Lord. To be a disciple maker. Just say, Lord, I don't know how to do it, but I'm going to make myself available for that purpose. Number two, and this is the flip side. Ask the Lord to bring a person into your life whom He has already prepared for you to make a disciple of for Christ. Think of a person. Maybe you can't think of anyone. But you probably have some close friends. Who don't know the Lord or who are new in the Lord, who need someone to help them to grow in the Lord. And then the third thing is, be willing to say, Lord, I'll do whatever you want me to do. I'll sacrifice whatever it takes, my time, my talent, my money, so that I can present somebody to you on the day that you come to receive me. Father, help us to apply these things in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.